When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. How's it going and welcome to episode 122 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. You can follow Kevin Hastings at Hastings Kevin. I am back, but unfortunately, Kevin is not back with us. But it seemed fitting that I would just be wel- welcoming somebody back to the podcast. And so we are welcoming back Jake Crumpler. You may know Jake from podcasts such as last week's episode of On The Wire. And of course, co-host of in the pen the first pitch podcast every all on the weekends and the free baseball podcast as well jake also if you didn't mention it he contributes at baseball hq and is the lead baseball writer at the athletes hub so the fact that he can take time to save my butt and record with me tonight on top of recording on the wire last week with rick graham having with all the other things you're doing jake you are no less than a hero in my book thank you man for coming back on on the pod and how's it going Oh, well, that's really high praise. I don't know if I deserve to be called a hero. I'm just talking about <laughs> fantasy baseball, but I'm doing pretty well. Had, a, had an event this morning, went and cleaned up some trash out on the San Francisco nice. Bay. So I guess that's more hero-esque than talking about fantasy baseball. But <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to to talk some fab. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, last night at a bar, and he had spent a lot of time in the Bay Area as well. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Oakland for nine years. So every time I talk to somebody and they mention the Bay, mm-hmm. it hurts just a little bit. And it pains yeah. me that I'm not still there. So I'm whether you're picking up trash or not, <laughs> I am jealous of you still being in the Bay Area. Hopefully that was a pleasant experience, regardless of the goodwill, obviously was pleasant. But in general, I hopefully that was a good time. Yeah, it was great. Living in the Bay Area is probably, I think it's the best place to live in the United States. Not that I've lived anywhere else, so I can't really say from (laughs) experience. I've lived in the Bay my whole life, but I think with the weather and just the culture and food and everything, I think it's just a wonderful place to live. Oh yeah. Living in Oakland is that you're at the best of both worlds. San Francisco Mm -hmm. can get a little chilly and then over the hills in Walnut Creek and Concord or whatever, it can get pretty hot. But Oakland, it was like, Never got any colder than 55 and never got any warmer than 85 at any given time. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. Yeah. In between the in between San Francisco and the Caldecott Tunnel mm-hmm. is like that that perfect area, Berkeley, Oakland, where it never gets too hot. And then you're also not dealing with the actual bay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, all the other things that come with it, of course, the lack of rain, mm-hmm. <laughs> the smoke in most recently. So there are negatives. We get that. But it was a pleasant experience for those nine years that I was there. All right, let's get into it, Jake. We got some news to cover. Of course, we're going to talk, we're going to continue our series and talking a little bit about some underdog fantasy, their best ball series later on in the show, some strategy that goes along with that. And then, of course, we've got Fab running on Sunday. As we talked a little bit off air, it's an interesting situation. Of course, this is the Sunday before All-Star break. So you got four days off 
and you're doing fab four days early and you're not quite sure what's going on come the games on Friday, but you got to make decisions. You got to be active. So we'll have some names that we can consider there later on. First and foremost, let's get right into it. Uh, Corbin Carroll, he is, he's hurt which was a big bummer with a couple of injuries that we won't get to that were just, ha- I felt like they just happened back to back with Trout's injury, Shohei going, getting that blister and leaving the game. And then of course, Corbin Carroll be- being hurt as well. The With that though, the Diamondbacks did promote Dominic Canzone made his MLB debut just a little over a month before turning 26. So he is no spring chicken as far as like prospects or rookies go. But he did start as the Arizona's DH on Saturday. Today, as we're recording this, it does make him eligible to be picked up in the NFBC format where you have to make your MLB debut before Sunday if you weren't drafted. But the question is, he's got a lot of power in his bat. He's already logged 16 home runs with 71 RBIs while slashing 354, 431, 634 at AAA this year. Also, 16 home runs at AAA the year prior to tack on another six at AA prior to that as well in 2022. So he's got lots of power in his bat. Will it play in Arizona and will Arizona play him enough for it to matter? Yeah, that's definitely the big question. So I do playing time analysis over at Baseball HQ. I do it for the Giants, A's, Diamondbacks, and Angels. So this is in my wheelhouse. There you go. (laughs) And the big thing with Arizona is they're very deep in the outfield. And that is what Canzone plays. Obviously, he can play a little first base, but they got Christian Walker over there. The outfield is stacked there. Like you said, Corbin Carroll earlier, he seems to be back from the injury and is doing fine. And then they've also got Lourdes Gurriel, Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, and they did just send down Dominic Fletcher, but he's also in the mix there a little bit. And a lot of those guys are really good. Thomas is an incredible fielder. Lourdes is a all-star Corbin Carroll is one of the best players in the national league and Jake McCarthy is a speedster that's been really good since coming back from the IL so there's not much room for Canzone you said he's played DH in his first game in the majors and so that's an option there but Lourdes is filling that DH role as I named four outfielders there so there's not too much room but Canzone's bat was really impressive in the minors and I think the craziest part was his plate discipline that he was walking almost as much as he was striking out which is very impressive. It's what you want to see, especially from a somewhat quad a guy that he doesn't come up and start striking out too much. So that'll be the biggest thing, just having the opportunity there. And with Carol not being injured, I'm not sure where he fits in. I think you'd have to see Carol take over in center field to open up playing time elsewhere or see Jake McCarthy take more time on the bench. A lot of those guys are lefties too. So there's not going to be any platoon situation there. So despite how good he was in triple a, I'm don't think there's going to be enough playing time for him there. Would I love to see him get that playing time considering how incredible he was at AAA? Of course, but this is going to be one of those wait and see situations where you just have to wait until he actually starts to play. Yeah, that's fair. They're the only opening that I saw was like, I think Kyle Lewis got sent down as well. Mm-hmm. That fills that DH opportunity. But as you said, yeah. Loris Curiel is also filling in that hole as well. It's going to probably take an actual injury that's going to see one of these guys or two of these guys miss substantial time or even an IL mm-hmm. stint for him to get regular playing time with Canzone. But the power is definitely there. If it's if you've got the room, might be a flyer worth taking to see if that opening shows up but it's probably going to be a little too rich if you are expecting 
regular playing time to to come through. Uh, let's talk some good news. I and mean, that, that one actually wasn't bad news because, like you said, Carroll looks like he's okay, so not an IL center or anything. But Riley Green, the Tigers got two outfielders back this week. Riley Green returned on today, and Akil Badu returned just the day prior into the Detroit outfield as well. So how are you this wasn't one of the teams you listed as one as no. one the ones that you're doing playing time but how are you how would you be expecting the tigers to handle the playing time now that their outfield seems to be back at full strength carrie carpenter came back about a week and a half ago as well what's your take on the tigers outfield moving forward i guess i'd expect carpenter to shift to dh which i say which takes away some playing time for miguel cabrera which is unfortunate but it, I don't know if the Tigers are trying to win games, but I, I sure hope they are. It's hard to know as an A's fan if the teams are actually trying to win. But nonetheless, <laughs> the Tigers, if they want to win, benching Miggy is the unfortunate solution there. And so that would mo- mean moving Carpenter to DH and then having Riley Green play in the outfield. And then that shifts Jake Marisnik to the bench, which I'm fine with that. So I think they're going to do their best to get Green in the lineup. He was their best hitter prior to getting injured. He was doing pretty well. I think he was batting 296. I think he had five or six home runs and steals a piece. And I think he's definitely a a player that needs to be in the lineup every single day. So I think they'll do their best to get him in there. I could see Badu losing some playing time since he's more of a platoon guy anyway, but with Carpenter and Green and Badu all being lefties and Matt Vierling being their only other righty outside of Jake Marisnik, I don't think it's going to be too crazy. A lot of these guys really aren't super fantasy relevant. Like Badu was fantasy relevant as a rookie, but hasn't really been since then. He's got that power speed combo, but being on the short side of a platoon in a lineup as weak as the Tigers, I'm not super interested in that. But Green is definitely somebody that needs to be owned everywhere. And I think he's going to be the one that's assured the most playing time. Hey, to be fair, the Tigers, they're in third place in the Central. It is the AL Central after all. <laughs> they're less than six games out from Cleveland. So if they want to be winning games, there is a path forward for yes. that. There's a reason to actually win games as opposed to some other team that may have already been mentioned and I will not continue to mention. All right, let's move to the National League then and let's talk about a team who may or may not be trying to win games. The Marlins, they have officially sent down Yuri Perez to double A which is the team he is the most familiar with as making that jump right over to the majors. I actually don't think Perez spent any time in AAA. I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think he was in AAA at all. And then on top of that, Craig Mish reported that he expects Johnny Cueto to be rejoining the team after the All-Star break as well as he finishes up his lackluster rehab assignment. I'll just leave it at that. Twofold, both of these guys, Jake, if you've got Yuri Perez anywhere... What are you expecting him as far as major league production goes? Are you holding him in a redraft roto league? And I say that specifically because I think that holding him in a head-to-head league is very different than holding him in a roto league at this point. I think there's a lot of theories that he might be in double A for a little bit and then maybe come back at the end of the year for major league, which obviously plays a different role in a head-to-head league if you're going for playoffs and stuff like that. So how are you handling Perez? And then on top of that, is is there a situation in which Johnny Cueto is fantasy viable or could be regardless of how the Marlins actually use him? Yeah, I'll go first with Yuri Perez. I think he's a must hold in basically every league. I, you can compare him to Grayson Rodriguez, who was sent down earlier in the year for the Orioles. And that's somebody where I have him rostered in other leagues. 
I've held him on my teams in all those leagues and we haven't seen any word that he's coming up recently, but he's been pitching really well in the minors. The difference there is that Ari Perez was way better in the majors than Grayson Rodriguez. And I didn't think twice about holding on to Grayson. So I think Ari Perez is a must hold. I think he's going to be back shortly. The Marlins have a very clear path to the postseason right now. I think they have the third best record in the national league. So they're definitely playing really well. They're definitely trying to win. And I think managing Ari Perez's innings is smart because he's already surpassed his career high and he's a very young pitcher with a bright future. So you want to be careful with a guy like that, definitely holding on to him. And then for Johnny Cueto, I just looked at his numbers during his rehab. Oh my gosh. 12.23 ERA and 17 and two thirds innings pitch. That's not great. Not good. Bob. And no. yeah, while he was fantasy relevant last year when he was skirting all of his underlying messages. That was fun. It was just yes, like, where was. is Johnny Cueto coming yeah. from here? I know he, uh, he was just one of those guys that in my home dynasty league, somebody picked him up and held on to him until the trade deadline and then threw him threw him back to somebody mm-hmm. who was contending for a low pick or whatever, but it was like free money. It's like, where did this come from? And it was, a, it was a good time. It's a good time watching that. Yeah. So while he was fantasy relevant last year, it was definitely done under the guise of somebody that didn't really, wasn't really, he was getting really lucky is, is what I'm going to say. I didn't think that was going to continue into this year. So far it hasn't. And even when he was pitching really well, he was, a Toby. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. He lives on weak contact and control and pitching on the edges and stuff. And so I don't think he's a guy that's going to be rostered in the majority of leagues. I think in 15 teamers, if he was at that peak when he was last year, then he's definitely appealing. But considering how he's performed in the minors, the injuries he's dealt with, pitching for a Marlins team that's not going to have a ton of run support and just at the age that he's at, with the low ceiling, it's not somebody that's super appealing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Prez, going back to Yuri, it's tough because I agree with you. Is if Especially in a situation where if you've been holding Grayson, why wouldn't you hold Yuri? I get yeah. that. I do obviously worry about how many innings at the major league level that the Marlins are going to, not even at the major league level, just in general, how many innings they are going to push him throughout mm-hmm. the year. And in a Roto League, like I might have already gotten the best innings that he's going to provide me. And if I'm in an NFBC league with no IL since no NA spots, anything like that, and you have a very short bench, no trading, no, no trading or nothing. I've got to start considering probably earlier than in other formats, even in formats like on Yahoo, even in formats where you don't have an NA spot, which is where Perez would be slotted into because obviously he didn't hit the IL. I'd still feel like I have him in our staff league at pitcher list, and I'm probably going to hold on to him longer than in the places that I have him with a shorter bench with, with more of a Roto style. I will be more, I will have a quicker trigger finger when it comes to, dropping Perez if I have to rather than feeling I have to hold on to him for everything he can provide to me just because that's just how your roster is constructed when a head-to-head league I'm holding out hope that they do give him more innings at the major league levels it's just in August and September rather than it being in July so you can actually that there I would hold him a little bit longer all right let's move over to Houston where Jose Altuve did hit the IL for the Astros and they replaced him on the roster with David Hensley which they have done they did earlier in the season obviously so he was recalled to take his roster spot but it seems as though Mauricio Dubon is the clear filler at second base and in the leadoff spot for the Astros so does that make 
Dubon and auto start in pretty much any format based on being on the top of that lineup, playing every single day and having multi-positional eligibility pretty much everywhere. These eligible at three or four different positions based on mm-hmm. what format you're playing in. Are you not just adding him, but is he playing every day on just about any roster you have? I'd definitely be adding him, but it's a short-term thing. I don't think he's going to be super fantasy impactful once Altuve returns. It is an oblique injury, so you -hmm. never know with those. They could be a few weeks. Sometimes they're just a couple, but they can vary. With Dubon, he was rostered pretty much everywhere before Altuve returned because he was leading off and because he was providing so much in the average department, but that's really all he provides. He's empty batting average. He does have four home runs, four home runs and five steals, but that's in 70 games and he's batting like 287, which is very solid and Statcast supports that as well. So while he is going to be providing average, you're not getting much elsewhere, especially in classic Roto leagues where you're not getting Mm -hmm. positive points for walks or avoiding strikeouts. It's pretty empty batting average. It's not somebody that I'm going to be like super concerned about getting in my lineup because he's just going to be supporting the average department. And at this point in the season, average is one of the few categories where you can't really make up a lot of ground right now because the sample size is getting pretty big. It's pretty hard to get a guy who's going to play on your team for a couple of weeks. That's going to boost your average enough to help you jump up some spots in the standing so he's not super appealing but i definitely think he should be owned in the majority of 15 team leagues i don't even know if he's like a 12 team ad the runs are going to be there that's the most appealing part moving into that the top of that lineup looks like he's leading off pretty much every day with Altuve out back in that spot like you said he was there at one point in -hmm. the past i I will push back on the average thing because i we say this a lot and i take this from todd zola he would say this all the time as well Remember, these ratio categories, especially batting average, they're the only categories in which you don't have to move up. Other people can also move down. So you can leapfrog teams in that fashion, especially if you're close enough to that. So yes, I agree. Obviously, as the sample size gets bigger and bigger as the season goes on, it is harder to change that third number or that's in most cases that second number in that batting average. But the other teams can come down as well. So they can meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. don't give up especially in a roto league i'm just saying yeah don't give up on don't tank batting average just because you feel like you can't make that maybe yeah. it's not the number one reason you pick up somebody i get that but don't harm yourself by tanking it even at this point in the season all right let's go i know you guys talked about this last week in a completely different manner daniel hudson <laughs> he returned it was very exciting a lot of people think that daniel hudson was going to be the he's going to lead the dodgers in saves just because mm-hmm. he's the elder statesman of the bullpen he had a you know he's not he's made how much money he's going to make and he comes back he gets a save great and as quickly as he comes in he leaves just as fast what was it i think he he tore his acl in the second to last pitch of that outing, if I'm not mistaken. I might have the initials the wrong. Surgery that's, and then he hurt his MCL, MCL yeah. in the other knee. <laughs> Just like... Yeah, I couldn't believe I it. Get, I, so I get gout flare-ups as a form of arthritis, and it seems like mm-hmm. I only get it in one spot, right? So I'll get it in one, like, one foot. And then it'll go away, but then sometimes it'll just move to another foot. And I feel like that's what happened with Daniel Hudson. It's okay. One of your CLs is is fine now. So now I have to, obviously, uh, you have to tear another CL. We'll see how many CLs he has left after all this. But unfortunately, (laughs) he is done. I'm looking for you, of course, co-host of In the Pen. 
give me something to hold on to with the Dodgers bullpen, which has not been a pleasant experience overall. But if Hudson's not going to be the guy, obviously, are they going to continue to go with Phillips? Are they going in a different... I saw Alex Vestia got the save when he first got called up. How are you guys looking at the Dodgers bullpen moving forward without Hudson in the mix? So far, we've been continuing to gain more confidence in Evan Phillips as he's gotten a lot of saves recently. There was like a 30 day span where I think he had no saves, which was very concerning, especially for us since we're talking about bullpens every week and we're looking for guys that are dropping down the ranks. That was somebody that stood out substantially to us. So it's been good to see him good is an operative word there. I'm a giants fan. So that's <laughs> difficult for me. It's been good to see him get back on track and getting those saves there. But I, I think Dave Roberts does like to fool around a little, like you said, Vasia got a save the other day and I think that was because Evan Phillips needed some rest. He had pitched in three days in a row, and that was the second day after that trio of days. So he was probably just getting an extended rest. But there are other options there. Bruce Dargratterall has been really great all season long. I think he's more of a high leverage guy, though, because of his ability to get ground balls. The one guy that I am interested in that they did bring into the bullpen recently is a different Hudson. So they had to make room for a Hudson by getting rid of a Hudson. Hudson And that's Brian Hudson. Yeah, Brian Hudson is a, I think he's 25. He's a right-handed reliever. He, oh no, he's a left-handed reliever. Wow. Six foot eight. And he has been incredible in AAA. He made his debut earlier this year. He tossed just a couple innings and he wasn't great, but in AAA, he's been incredible. He's 26 years old. He had a 1.83 ERA and 34 and a third innings while striking out 39% of batters. And he wasn't a big walk guy either. Just 10.10%. That's pretty incredible, especially from a left-handed reliever. And not too many lefties in that bullpen, Alex Vesia and Caleb Ferguson. He's been pretty solid this year, but there is an opportunity for that. I don't think they would rush to have him jump into high leverage situations, but there is an opportunity for him there. Now that Phillips is gone, I think Phillips is probably going to hold on to this role the rest of the season, but there is also the consideration that the trade deadlines coming up. I think the Dodgers are an ideal landing spot for the number of closers that are going to be up on the market, David Robertson. I think Liam Hendricks could be on the move even, and I feel like that's a perfect place for him. But right now, as the bullpen is currently constructed, I think Phillips is going to continue to be the clear-cut closer there. Because the Chicago White Sox cannot create any more ill will to their fan base by based on their production and and recent experience. Mm-hmm. Of course they would have to go and trade away Liam Hendricks and yeah. just make everybody that much more upset at them. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. We, ha- I mean, I, we've, I've talked about this on the show a couple of times ever since we had Grant Washburn on, on the show a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago at this point, how much do you adhere to the idea that arbitration is at the forefront of at least the front office mind if not David Roberts' mind when choosing how many saves are going to be gotten throughout the course of the bullpen and not giving him all to Phillips because obviously that will affect arbitration cases in the near future. Yeah, I think that definitely comes into consideration for cost-conscious teams, which I wouldn't consider the Dodgers to be in that group of cost-conscious teams. They do like to spend a lot. And while Evan Phillips isn't the usual guy you'd expect to be in arbitration, he's 28 years old, so you're not really thinking about that. The rest of that bullpen is also very young, so there's not an alternative there where it's, okay, we're going to turn to Ryan Brazier, who's 
got a 5.64 ERA this year, and he's going to close that game for us because we're, yeah, we're worried about saving money. I think that would be pretty unfortunate. If they had other options there, some other veteran that was there that they could turn to save them some money, they possibly could. But this is a team that I don't think is too worried about money. And with the way that the NL West is shaping out, they're going to have to play their best baseball in the second half if they want to secure that division. So I think that'll be on the forefront of their mind as opposed to saving a, a million or two Fair on enough. their closer. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's let's end it here with my Red Sox. Where they made a massive move. They re, The return of Jorge Alfaro, this time he signed a major league contract with Boston. He has yet to start for this, however. Caleb Hamilton had been backing up Connor Wong behind the dish with Reese McGuire on the shelf, but has since been DFA'd. So Alfaro is the clear backup, at least the clear backup at catch at the catcher position for the Red Sox. Alfaro obviously has some other experience playing some outfield, some DH, especially with his time in San Diego. Is this addition of Alfaro to the Red Sox? Anything we should actually care about? Is it going to make any kind of impact that hasn't in the short term? What's your take here? I love Alfaro as a player. He was on some YouTube videos that I was watching a few weeks ago, and he seems really cool when he was playing in Dominican Summer League. And as much potential as he has in his bat, he shoots himself in the foot by being very poor in the plate discipline metrics. He strikes out a lot and he never walks. And that hurts him a lot. I think Connor Wong is in that same bucket, but from the metrics, I can tell Wong is a better defender than Alfaro is, so he gets the upper leg there. And while Alfaro has been great in the minors, batting 320 with six home runs and four steals, it's all going to be reliant on his playing time, whether or not he becomes fantasy relevant. I could see him being somebody that you may want to pick up in 15 team ale only leagues with two catchers. There we go. But yeah, anything shallower than that, I don't see him being somebody that's a difference maker because he doesn't play at all. I would love to see him play. I think he's a fun player, but if he's not playing, then you're not getting any statistics. Alfaro seems like he's more valuable. Once he makes a start for the Red Sox, he'll Mm -hmm. be more valuable in the immaculate grid that everybody's playing (laughs) than he will in fantasy because of all the teams he's played on in the last two or not just a year. You spent mm-hmm. some time with Colorado before this. Obviously, he was with San Diego. In a very short period of time, he very well could end up being one of those 1% ch- choices on those, those, on those grids. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to sum it up. There's been other injuries. There's been other things, but not anything that I think is going to really impact what you're deciding on your fab this coming Sunday, especially with all the time we have off between fab and the first set of games next weekend. But of course... There's a lot of other stuff to talk about, and one of us here talks about it almost every single day on the daily. You should be listening to the First Pitch Podcast, of course, hosted by Jay Crumpler on the weekend. So I'm sure as soon as we're done recording this, you're going to go and record that show once all the games are over. Casey Bubba has you covered on the weekdays. Make sure you guys are listening to that every day as they are keeping you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league throughout the course of the season. In just a moment, we are going to get back into our underdog fantasy seventh inning stretch talk series and talk a little bit about late round strategy. Some guys that might be making impact later on in the second half of the season, but we're going to, before we do that, we are going to take a quick break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. 
Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. Of course, you are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe this week, joined by Jake Crumpler, my co-host for two weeks, just the host <laughs> of the show for the last two weeks. So Jake, thanks again for, for joining me here two weeks in a row. And we're going to talk a little bit. You and Rick talked last week about how you can manipulate or utilize the scoring strategy of the underdog seventh inning stretch. This is their best ball tournament that they have going on. You can enter a draft all the way up until the 14th of July. It's only $7. And of course, if you sign up using the PitcherList code, that's PitcherList, all one word, all capital letters, you're going to get a 100% deposit match up to $100. So you want to deposit 50 bucks, they'll give you another 50 bucks. You want to deposit 100 bucks, they'll give you another 100 bucks. And you can use it for all their different games that they have going on throughout the course of the season. They're pick'em games. They're all they have daily drafts as well, two team, three team drafts. It's been a lot of fun. I've been playing it most, most recently in the last couple of weeks, especially with a couple of my team my other teams going maybe to the wayside <laughs> that I want to get a second chance and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Of course, the NFBC did their second chance leagues as well. Those all finished up. So if you're looking for a almost full season situation, rather than just like a daily moves thing or a daily, like a DFS thing, this is where you want to go. It's best ball. You don't have to do anything. No trades, no pickups. Just they'll pick all the best players, just like any other best ball. They do have their own scoring strategy. So go back and listen to Jake and Rick talk about that last week uh, on The Wire. You can also just look up the point score on the underdog app as well. But I wanted to get, I wanted to pick your brain about guys that you think could pop off in the second half and basically that are unexpected. It is best ball. So you can take some chances here and you can throw darts at the wall and hopefully they stick. And we always see this. We talk about this every off season, right? We talk about how, Hey, this guy had a great second half. We didn't see that coming or this or that. And it can change the value of where they go in a redraft situation in July. And then there are also guys that come out of nowhere or haven't gotten a call up yet or are moving into a new situation due to an injury elsewhere on the roster, whatever the case may be. Do you have any guys that if you were going to do a draft like this, you might be eyeing in the last round because they haven't done anything yet, but you would expect them to move forward? Yeah. One thing I always do when I'm looking for people that I'm hoping outperform their previous performance is head on over to StatCast and look at the <laughs> differences between WOBA and XWOBA and those. And while those are rudimentary and they can't explain everything, Scott Chu will talk a lot about this, where people that have discrepancies between their average and expected average are usually a lot of the times explained by shifting or, I know that's banned now, but it's 
still somewhat there shifting, but it depends on if you're hitting ground balls or fly balls. Sometimes it can't account for everything. So you really have to dive into it. So I looked at some guys and I think it's mostly early rounder guys that I think I'm interested in here where it might not be as helpful later into the draft, but early on picking out guys that may have slight discounts is really important. Guys that were first rounders in the offseason that are now third or fourth rounders because they struggled so much in the first half that now they get back to their status as being one of the best players in baseball. And then you can capitalize on that. I think one of those guys is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's been hitting more ground balls this year, but it's less than last year. So he's not gotten back all the way to 2021, but he's in the middle there. And I think he could get back on track. He's underperforming his expected Woba at the fourth highest rate in baseball behind only Kbert Ruiz, Ryan Mountcastle, and Michael Massey. And then some other ones, I think obviously like Trey Turner is one of them, Manny Machado. But I think the biggest one is Pete Alonzo, who not only is underperforming his stack as metrics, but he's also got a 190 BABIP. So the guy's batting 215 right now. And for his career, he's around a 260 hitter. And I think he's going to get closer to that. And when you get closer to that means you hit above that for the rest of the season to pull yourself up there. So I could see him hitting 280 for the second half with a bunch of home runs. He's already been hitting home runs. So he's already been pretty solid. You won't get the same amount of discount as you would on somebody like Trey Turner or Carlos Correa for that matter. But I think Pete Alonso is going to have a huge second half, probably hit 20 home runs, probably bat pretty high and pull that average up because he's due for massive regression there. Yeah. I like that you use the word regression to talk about somebody doing something positive. It doesn't always work that way. It's not usually the way people use the term, but obviously regression works both ways. So I'm glad that you said that. And in the draft that I did here, the seventh inning stretch draft, Alonzo went at the close to the top of the third round. So I can totally see what you're talking about, even getting some kind of value from that, at least around a round and a half value mm-hmm. based on what he could be doing. At the back end of the draft, I thought this was a great, this is a very timely pick that was made, not by me, unfortunately, but Alec Manoa went in the fight, went, went one team's final pick nice. in my draft. And this was a couple of weeks ago. So this was before he had the positive start at double A. Mm-hmm. This was probably even before he made the terrible start <laughs> down in, I think it was in Dunedin mm-hmm. as well. And so, I think that there are a lot of a lot of ways in which you can use those last round picks toward pitching that are complete dart throws. And I think the only way that really works, though, is if you really solidify some pitching at the top. And I know that's taboo to do in these best balls. I feel like when I do these best balls, I'm the only one drafting two or three pitchers in the first like three or four rounds. And everybody else is just going hitter, hitter. And I'm just like, I get too scared, especially with what we've been seeing this year with the amount of injuries, with the amount of inconsistencies we've seen from like, high-end aces like Sandy Alcantara and and the like that I really wanted to solidify my pitching staff. I'm down with grabbing one or two complete dart throws on the pitching side. The type of guys, though, I think I'm completely avoiding that I don't have any trust in are all these rookie pitchers because this you don't get to bank what they've done. You don't get to bank mm-hmm. all the good that, that Bybee's done with Cleveland, with Logan Allen has done, with with any of the Millers have done <laughs> and you don't know how many innings like Yuri Perez is probably not somebody I would be targeting in this kind of contest because I don't know what I'm going to get and I need to make sure every single one of my choices is going to give me something it might be terrible 
and it, great, it's best ball. It won't count. Somebody else will count. But I do want to make sure that I'm not taking a zero. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, Aaron Judge went pretty early in this draft. He's Aaron Judge, but he very well could be a zero in this format just because you don't know if he's actually going to come back in time for you to make it past the first round. The way this tournament works is it's four rounds. You have to win your, or you have to, you have to get toward the top of your 12 team league, and then you move on to a larger league. They consolidate the winners from each one, and it goes four times. But if you don't, get past that first round because Aaron judge didn't play at all. Yeah. That's really going to be harmful to your chances of winning the whole thing, or at least getting in any kind of cash. So that's, it's a very interesting thing because we talk about the NFBC has been doing their second chances. They didn't do them last year. They didn't the year before that though. And it's, but it's the straight, it's all the same. It's just, it's still Roto. You still do fab. This is different just because it's best ball. You don't have to worry about anything and you can continue to really focus on your other fab teams while having this other little side pot going on, which is nice. And it's nice to know that you have a chance at something else moving forward, but there's a lot of different strategy involved going into it. So if you're interested in signing up for that, make sure you do so and use PitcherList as your promo code. PitcherList, all one word, all capital letters. You'll get a 100% match on your deposit and it's only $7.00 at underdog fantasy download the app do your draft it's a it's not a slow draft it's quick draft so just when you sign up be ready to be drafting right away i gotta get rid of all of the the mumbo jumbo as well on top of that of course you must be 18 or over to play in a state where underdog fantasy operates if you are in alabama or nebraska you have to be 19 or over massachusetts and arizona you have to be 21 or over terms do apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org if you're in arizona you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in new york you can call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY and in tennessee you can call 1-800-889-9789 all right we are going to get to our fab our selections for this week But of course, we do have to take another quick break. We're back once again. We're getting right into our fab recommendations with Jake Crumpler. Of course, I am Adam Howe. We will get right into it. It, it, I said it at the beginning of the show. We said it off air. It is different, of course, because we're doing this fab with four days off ahead of us. We don't know where the rotations are actually going to go out. You can go to any site and see what the expected rotation is going to look like. You don't know what's going to happen in the All-Star game. You don't know what's going to happen with hitters in the home run derby. You don't know like how much time off players need or don't need. And so you're going into this a little bit blind until probably about Tuesday or Wednesday when teams start officially announcing what their rotations are going to be and guys coming back from the IL and stuff like that. But we'll go into this doing the best we can. Of course, we'll start with our hitting categories, Jake. We have our power categories, home runs, RBIs. I'm going to let you start it off here. Who is Who do you hope is going to hit at least a home run or two over the course of next weekend? In terms of fantasy, I hope Josh Donaldson is going to have a big week. <laughs> Just Yankees, fantasy, though. <laughs> yes. The Yankees are heading to Coors Field, so that's number one there. And also, Josh Donaldson has been Joey Gallo-esque this year in that he doesn't know how to hit anything but home runs. On the season, he's got 13 hits, and nine of those have been home runs. <laughs> so his 140 average comes with a 441 slug. That's a 301 ISO. So can't say he hasn't been hitting. What is his power. BAPIP? What is his BAPIP like 
070. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy. Yeah. So he's doing basically nothing except for hitting home runs. So (laughs) that sort of fits the bill for a power target here. He's been underperforming a lot in his cast metrics. He's hitting the ball very hard. He's got a 21% barrel rate, which if he did qualify would lead the majors. So he's definitely been a little bit unlucky on balls in play, but what he's been doing is hitting the ball really hard and really far. And in Coors, he gets a little boost there as well. He's playing every day, third base DH. So that's a guy I'll be targeting in deeper leagues because he's been somebody you can rely on for home runs. Yeah, that's fair. And of course, for those who don't realize or don't know BABIP, if you hit a home run, the ball is not in play. So it actually mm-hmm. hurts your BABIP to hit a home run. All right. Yeah, I like the call out. I don't like the call out of Josh Donaldson himself as a person, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I do appreciate looking at the numbers and knowing what mm-hmm. he could be possibly doing, especially in cores. I'm also going to take advantage of the situation here, and I'm going with Derek Hall as an option, and, and namely because we'll get to it in a second. Philadelphia is one of the two teams that has four games going on in, in the three days over the weekend as they have a doubleheader with San Diego on Saturday. And so Derek Hall is back in action playing first base for Philadelphia pretty much full time. He did see today sit today against a lefty starter so that could play a role it assuming that the only lefty that the Padres put out there next weekend would be Snell Blake Snell he should at least still get the three games if not play in both games of that double header over the weekend and who knows maybe Snell gets the day off and they get four righties and he plays the entire time which would be nice mm-hmm. we all know what Derek Hall could can do based on what he did last year he's a very limited time in the majors this year but he is available in pretty much everywhere in the main event so in the 12 in those 15 teamers about 57 percent rostered it's only 12 percent in those 12 team online championships though so of course in those 12 teamers available pretty much everywhere still about almost half of your leagues in your 15 teamers so check your wire to see if he is available he would be a nice little cheap option i think going into this fab period if you look looking for somebody to pop off Uh, a home run or two going into next weekend, especially with the extra game. All right, let's get some speedsters out of the way here. Stolen bases, run scored. Jake, start us off here. Who are you looking at to add some speed to your lineup if that's the category you're looking for? I'm going to Houston. I'm looking at Chas McCormick. He just made the news, not for his speed, but it was part of his base running. You can say that. (laughs) He's been seeing a lot more playing time in Houston and with Jordan Alvarez out and Jose Altuve out. I think he's pretty much guaranteed time in the outfield right now. He's one of their better options in the outfield. And he's been very solid this year. 125 WRC plus, eight home runs, 260 average. But he has also stolen eight bases. He's like 69th percentile in sprint speed, which not super standout. But that's about what Ronald Acuna is. So it's really more about stolen base abilities. And honestly, I think many people are aware that home to first time is more indicative of stolen base ability than average spin speed. So I think McCormick is somebody that will not only provide stolen bases and will help you out in other categories, but those stolen bases will come along with the rest of the package. Yeah, that, that video definitely brought back some <laughs> poor memories as a Red Sox fan. And at least at least there was some fighting back with what happened with A-Rod. This one seemed like mm-hmm. it just happened. You're like, really? 
I'll but, beat them uh, on the baseball field. Yeah, they're, they're, that's a good mentality. Yeah. That's a better mentality than what I than I, what I would be thinking. <laughs> I'd be. I'm gonna jump in with one, and you got another one on here too. So we'll go back and forth here. I'll stick with Houston. Then Corey Jukes, if he's still available, somebody that I'd be targeting. He's just been on a tear on the base pass as well. He's no Eli De La Cruz stealing three bases in this pretty much the same at bat, <laughs> but he is he is running like crazy in the last mm-hmm. week or so 93 percent roster in the main event 23 percent roster in the online championship it's more of a 12 team play he is more readily available in those formats he is getting regular playing time with the astros as well and he is taking advantage of every opportunity that is coming forward at least that's being presented to him and the astros are letting him do that especially as they allow a good chunk of their roster to be doing that at this point in the season which is nice to see Looks like you got somebody that's a little bit more readily available in pretty much mm-hmm. any format. Talk yeah. to me about your other option here. Yeah, my other option is also in Texas, and that's Travis Jankowski. He's not really well known, but he is a guy that's fast and he's been pretty lucky on getting on base this year. So that's what you like to see. His sprint speed is very good, 89th percentile. So he's definitely a speedster. And he's actually batting 323 this year and already has 11 stolen bases in just 52 games. He's been platooning a lot for the Rangers. Not sure who we're going to see out of the starting rotation. So we're not 100% sure if he's going to be starting the majority of the time next weekend. But I think you can expect him to get into a game and have the opportunity to steal a base or two. I think on top of him batting 323 with a 143 WRC plus, he walks 13% of the time. And so that gives you a lot of opportunities to get on base, swipe a base. And I think that's going to be a guy who's pretty readily available, who will be able to provide some speed and actually won't hurt you in other departments outside of home runs and RBI. Yeah, I like that. Go back and just to shout Corey Jukes one more time. He's got an S bot. That's how many stolen bases he's taken based on the opportunities he's been presented 50% of the time since June 1st. Half the time he's on first and second is open, he's taken off. So you want to be taking a look at those opportunities that your runners are taking. One more guy that probably is more available in your deeper leagues that started off just absolutely terrible this season, but has turned it on as of late. And that is Tony Kemp of the Oakland of your Oakland athletics, 26% rostered in the main event, 2% rostered in the OCs, but he is been given more opportunity. I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember seeing like he's hitting three hundred three something in the last couple of weeks, which has raised his overall average almost to 200, which is nice to see. Nice. But he's also been given the opportunity. He's been given the green light as of late as well. And with Esther Ruiz being hurt as well, Kemp has been taking over the leadoff duties. Even with Ruiz not hurt, Kemp had been putting been put in the leadoff spot for the athletics for quite some time now. So he should even with the A's, he is getting he's giving himself more opportunities to move it along so somebody to keep an eye on as especially as they face off again against the Red Sox after the break as well so that's a team you want to be targeting when you're when you're running as well Tony Kemp somebody worth at least uh, all these guys if you're just looking for stolen bases these are four guys that you can put if they're all available just put them all in your waterfall bids put them whatever order you want and you see what fit for your team and that way you can keep your prices down. You don't have to bid 20 bucks on any of these guys. You can bid four bucks on all of them. Maybe in most leagues, you could probably even just put a dollar on all of them and you'll probably mm-hmm. get one of them. 
Yeah. All right, let's talk about some guys that might have a good opportunity ahead. Not a lot of schedule notes to talk about since there's only three games worth of games to go, but every single team does have games on all three days with Philadelphia and San Diego having a doubleheader on Saturday. So they are the only two teams that do have four games in the three-game stretch, and the game started on Friday. So at least in an NFBC or any of the other bi-weekly lineup changes, you're only making one lineup change here. You can't really switch out anybody. Colorado, as you mentioned, is home for their weekend series against the Yankees. So something to keep in mind as well. So is there, with all that in mind and anything else you want to consider, is there somebody that looks like they could be taking advantage of their opponents for the one series that we have to worry about, might be finding themselves into more playing time and what have you? Yeah, the Twins are heading to Oakland, which is always good. Oakland does not have a great pitching staff, so offensively that's great. But Kyle Farmer, I think, is somebody that could take advantage of the Oakland pitching staff. They have a lot of left-handed starters, and Farmer's been playing even some against right-handers, but he is incredible against lefties throughout his career. Versus righties, he's like a 241 batter with a WRC plus of just 73 throughout his career. But when he faces lefties, he's incredible. He's batted 284 with a 118 WRC plus. He's got just five fewer home runs versus lefties as opposed to versus righties, and that's with 700 fewer at bats so that's that's a pretty noticeable difference there he's a lefty killer the a's have three left-handed starters we're gonna see at least i think two of them in the opening series maybe just one but i think farmer is going to take advantage of that the a stadium isn't the ideal place to bat but it's gonna be late july in the bay area it gets pretty hot out here. And when it gets hot in that stadium, I think the ball flies a little bit. We saw it at the end of last year, balls were flying out of that ballpark and without fans blocking the wind, <laughs> the, <laughs> we could see some home runs fly out, but I think farmer could take advantage of the South pause starting there. As long as they don't do reverse boycott again, then that, that won't be yes, an option. <laughs> actually, I hope we do. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> oh man. Another reason I wish I still lived in Oakland. Cause I would have loved to have been part of that. Yeah, I was working, unfortunately, uh, but it looked sick. I was there the day before the perfect game. Oh, the day before, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Guy, I'm going to probably, I might take a chance on just because it's the weekend and he looks like he's going to get plenty of playing time is Joe Adele. And this is not a post-hype sleeper situation. This is just Joe Adele is back up. He's playing. Mike Trout is out for a while, so they need somebody playing center field on a regular basis. He can actually do that. Might not want him out there every single day in center field, but he can do it. He came back up Tuesday, and he's played every day except for the first day that he was eligible. Mm -hmm. So he's been playing left field, center field the last three days. Splatting cleanup. This is cleanup hitter Joe Adele, which is something that wouldn't have been very, I wouldn't have been surprised to hear that three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just nice to see. It hasn't really done a whole lot with his time, but it's only been three games. And the fact that he should play the entire series next weekend against Houston, even if they throw out a lefty on there, even if you're going to get two out of the three games, if you want to take advantage of somebody who's who's hitting in the middle of that lineup or in the cleanup spot for the angels. They even without trout, they still have a decent offensive lineup to take advantage of and get some RBIs and hopefully take advantage and hit at least one ball out of the park and prove what he can do. His strikeout rate is still his strikeout rate. He's still going to strike out, but at least especially what he's been doing this year, he's been showing that he can be a little bit more patient dragging his walk rate up into the double digits as well. He, Joe Adele still has a lot to do to prove the longevity, but for this, 
this weekend to be somebody that I am looking at, especially if I need to fill an outfield spot. All right, let's move into our pitchers then, Jake. We got our counting stats here to start off with, with wins and Ks. Yeah, again, this is difficult to do just because we don't know who's actually going to be starting and who's not going to mm-hmm. be starting. You don't want to take a zero. You want to fill up those spots as much as you can. So who are you taking a dart on to do that, even if it's just for this weekend? Yeah, I went with a really deep pick as, like you said, not only do we not know who's starting, but there's not too many options at this point in the season, especially in terms of starters that are available in the majority of the leagues. One of those guys is Brandon Williamson. And while he has not impressed at all in the majors, he was really great in the minors last year and was one of the big pieces that the Reds got in. I can't remember what trade. I think it was the Luis Castillo trade. Probably. Nonetheless, he is facing the Brewers this upcoming weekend, or at least the Reds are. So if he does start against them, then I think he could have a good game. They are in the bottom three among Major League Baseball teams in WRC Plus versus left-handed pitchers. So I think he could take advantage of that. They're playing I think they're playing in Milwaukee. Not 100% sure about that. Totally forgot. Either way, I think Williamson should be able to take advantage of that and he'll be available in the majority of leagues. His cutter is really good. PLV's got it in the 81st percentile. So if he can lean into that pitch, I think that could help him a lot versus the Brewers. And like I said, they are not great versus left-handers and Brandon Williamson is a southpaw. Yeah, they are. Unfortunately, they are in Milwaukee right now. So they are hosting Milwaukee when they come back from the break. So they still got the Brewers just in Cincinnati. Not so much. Yeah. Both ballparks. Not great for the pitchers in general. But all right. Yeah, I tried to go deep here as well. I'm not even going with technically a starter. Nick Pavetta is so who I'm eyeing here ever since kind of moving into his bulk role with the Red Sox. He's been doing really good things. And this is in no way indicative of. Uh, just be, I'm not picking, making this pick just because I picked him up to stream yesterday <laughs> in my, in one of my daily moves leagues. And so it's like, oh, you did good for me there. I mean, you can do good for me in the future. That's not the case with Nick Pavetta. We all know that. But with that being said, this is a situation where if he's going to continue to get an opener and still go four or five innings and go twice through the lineup and that's it, this is prime Nick Pavetta. This is exactly what Nick Pavetta was built to do. This is like Ryan Yarbrough when he was doing good things with Tampa mm-hmm. and they were giving him an opener every single game. So it gives them a chance to get that win in the ball game like he did on Friday for the Sox. And coming up after the break, if he does get into that into one of those games, they're face they're in Chicago, they're in Wrigley. I really hope this happens on Sunday because I will be at Wrigley Field for that game, my first trip to Wrigley Ooh. Field. That'll be awesome. But if he doesn't get into that first series, he'll get a double tap. Ultimately, he won't be starting the games because mm-hmm. Alex Cora has already come out and said, I know all the rumors are that with everything going on with the Red Sox rotation and, and guys going down and getting injured and what have you, Favetta is going to have to be the guy that they pull into the rotation. Alex Cora squashed that. Not so much, guys. He's doing a really good job in his bulk role. We like the flexibility. We're going to keep him in that role. But really... He's getting the best of both worlds. He's getting the innings. He's getting the strikeouts, and they're giving him an opener so he can get he can steal that he can vulture that win away. If he doesn't get into that series against Chicago, sure you take the zero this week, but he'll, he'll get Oakland and the Mets in, in, in a double tap more than likely the following week. So that's a nice little stash, if nothing else. So you could pick him up this Sunday. 
if it if they set their line like their official rotation with three starters and that means obviously Pavetta's not getting in you put him on your bench and you hold him for the following week and he's still pretty readily available more than 50% available in the main event 43% rostered there and 5% in the online championships again readily available especially in your 12 teamers and in majority of 15 teamers as well all right also a little bit more difficult here in your ratios because yeah. Every bullpen is fresh. You don't know who's going to come in and get those bulk innings. So you almost have to go with the starter you think is going to start. And I'm going to start off here because I am actually not confident Cole Irvin is going to start for Baltimore mm-hmm. in this series. But in a very similar vein to Pavetta, if he does, he if he doesn't go, he should get a double tap hosting. Sorry, he'll either go against Miami in the opening weekend. But if not, he'll get a double tap. Not the best double tap though. He'll be get he would get the Dodgers and at Tampa Bay the following week. So this is definitely he, Cole Urban's just been on a little bit of a tear in the last couple games. He's not getting you strikeouts. That's not what this play is for. He's not letting up runs. And if he does get a start against Miami, granted, I know Miami, like you said, third best record in the National League. They are playing well. Still not an offense that I'm terribly scared of, regardless. And Baltimore's offense can definitely hold him up. Again, not looking for the win here, not looking for strikeouts technically. Obviously, those things would be nice. But Irvin has not really shown us the volume that in strikeouts in as of late. But the success has been in those ratios, and that's what we're looking for in this moment. 25% rostered in the main event, 2% rostered in online championships, so readily available pretty much in any format you're playing in. This is definitely a guy that you're streaming in your daily moves leagues based on based on who he's playing against. Not somebody I would be holding onto for that double tap. It's like that rule, that old rule is if you're not going to play him for a double tap, yep. you should be dropping him. And mm-hmm. all right, then that's fine. I'll start him against Miami if he gets that start. If not, all right, I, I wasted a dollar or two on a risk. Yeah, and he's playing in Baltimore, and that's where you want to start Irvin because he doesn't he get he gets that protection. Yes, by that the super new protection deep left yes. field wall. Yes, yeah. So that'll be nice there. All right, you got somebody that I've been like you got somebody on this list that I've been wanting to drop, but I can't bring myself to drop in my twelve teamer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, by the percentages in these fifteen teamers, there's good reason for it so talk to me about the selections you got here yeah so i got jp sears for the a's he's owned in the majority of tgfbi leagues which is one of the leagues i'm in on nfbc so he's probably not available in a lot of really competitive deeper leagues but in the shallower 12 team leagues he's 18 percent owned on yahoo i think he's going to be readily available there i've been streaming him in my home league which is a 12 teamer on espn and he's I think he's really great. He's getting the twins this next weekend, and I'm almost certain that he's going to start the weekend after the All-Star break because the A's have such a shallow rotation. He's one of their best starters this year. He, PLV absolutely loves him. They have him as the 11th best starter in terms of overall PLV at 5.32. He's really great at not giving out free passes. He's got a pretty decent strikeout rate, sort of Toby-esque, but I think he's been really great this year. And like I said, he's taken on the Twins, and despite them employing Kyle Farmer, they are actually (laughs) not good against left-handed pitchers, which is something that I was looking into. The Twins are somehow worse than the Brewers versus left-handed pitchers. They're the second worst team versus left-handed pitchers outside of the Rockies. They're the worst team. So I think Sears should be able to take advantage of that. It is in Oakland as well. So that does give him a little leg up there as well. So 
that should be a pretty nice matchup for him. And I think he should be employed in the majority of 15 team leagues anyway. Fair, fair. Talk to me about the other guy you got on here that's a little bit more readily available in your TGFBIs and your 15 teamers. Sure. Yeah. Got to stick in the Bay Area. No, I know those pitchers <laughs> a lot better. We got Ross Stripling. The Giants are taking on a team that I have forgotten. So I'm going to pull up the schedule really quick. I remember it was not a team that I was scared of. And that's why Giants are at him. Pittsburgh. Was, yeah, that is that a is nice, right. nice location. They, Exactly. And they are not good versus right-handed pitchers. And that's why I chose Ross Stripling. The Pirates have an 89 WRC plus versus right-handers, which is good for 24th in baseball. And while Stripling, we haven't seen a lot of him this year. He was great last year for the Blue Jays and he may not start, but they may use him out of the bullpen, which we've seen a lot for a lot of their pitchers they've been using out of the bullpen this year, Keaton Wynn, Jacob Junis, Sean Manaya, And that is great in mm-hmm. a lot of leagues, especially ones where starts are limited or things like that, where you want to be certain that he's starting. I think this is a guy that's going to get into at least one game next weekend. And against an easy matchup like the Pirates, who aren't great versus right-handers, I think he's somebody I'll be targeting. Nice. All right. I'm going to make a clean transition into the saves category by asking you a bunch of questions because this is the opportunity I have to have one of the guys from In the Pen. You're here. I got to ask you questions about bullpens in general. So this is the segue. So this is Griffin Jacks. He's not getting saves per se, but he seems to be the second in line, if you will, behind Duran in Minnesota. But it just doesn't seem like the Twins use him enough why he's very good (laughs) he's very productive I know you guys have talked about him quite a bit about how much how good he is but he's got 37 innings on the season it seems really low for how well he produces and how reliable Mm -hmm. he is in your mind like why isn't he utilized more often because I would want to put him in this ratio category right even though he's not going to get saves he might vulture one every now and again but that's not why I would roster him. I would want to roster him because he's not giving up any runs. He's not giving up any hits. He's going to keep my rate. He's going to help me chip away my ratios, but not if he's only going to get one or two innings a week. So Mm -hmm. can I expect the twins to be utilizing him more often in the second half? Or is this just how they're handling him? You say 37 innings, like it's a bad thing that actually leads the whole Minnesota twins bullpen. He's got the most innings. Still in seems bullpen. like he should be doing more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I think one thing you can blame that on is the Twins have an incredible rotation of guys that can go deep into ball games. They're consistently hitting six or seven innings with Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, and the rest of that crew there. So I think that definitely eats into the innings there. There's also the factor that Griffin Jacks wasn't the clear setup man earlier on in the season. They had Jorge Lopez there to start the season. He struggled and then went on the IL with mental issues and now he's back but Griffin Jack took that role over and even in between that Brock Stewart came out of nowhere and was one of the best relievers in baseball (laughs) just incredible 0.70 ERA across 25 innings so he became the top setup option there and he was taking a lot of innings away from Griffin Jacks and then he hit the IL about right right before Jorge Lopez returned so that has finally opened up the top setup role for Griffin Jacks 
So now you can assume that he's going to be the top option there outside of Johan Duran. They still have a pretty deep bullpen with Emilio Pagan still there. Giovanni Moran's been pretty solid this year. Jorge Lopez is back. But I think he's probably going to be used more going forward. The Twins are trying to win this division. I think they're still in first place right now. But with Brock Stewart out, I think Griffin Jacks is that clear number two option. But like I said, if these starters continue to dominate all year and continue to pitch into the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, like we've seen recently, then there's going to be fewer opportunities for Griffin Jacks there. But he's definitely been really good this year. I, it's just unfortunate. I wish he struck out more batters. His stuff yeah. is really good. His stuff plus was one of the best in baseball earlier on in the season. And the strikeouts just haven't followed. He's about 25% right now. But I still think he's a great option, and his ERA estimators support that. All right, fair enough. So hopefully we'll see him a little bit more than 37 innings in the second half. It sounds like that that could be a possibility. And it also seems, yeah, he's finally moved up to that clear Mm -hmm. setup role. If anything happens to Duran, then Jax is the guy that we're all going to be picking Mm -hmm. up in every single league to pick up saves, even with the other options that you mentioned. Obviously, Lopez having the experience as well. But Jax doing good things. All right, second And final question, when it comes to relievers, and then I'll let you talk about some guys that you actually might recommend picking up. But it seems as though I talked, I mentioned him, I think a couple of weeks ago, and I probably should have done this on the other episode I talked about, but of course I did it now. Make sure I say his name correctly because it is a different pronunciation than I expected. Yoel, not Joel, Yoel, not Payamps, Yoel Payamps in Milwaukee seems to be the clear back up to Devin Williams it would in your mind would he be the clear heir if and to the closer role now with all the success that he's shown if Williams were to go down for any reason knock on wood not I'm not wishing that upon him whatsoever mm. but the, the Brewers have also shown a willingness to trade away a top closer sure. in the recent past as well would Piams be the guy that moves into that role like Williams did when Hader left yeah, I think so. He usually can look at holds numbers or the guy that gets the saves when the closer is resting. And that's been Pyoms. He leads the team in holds with 15. He's second on the team with three saves and he's got a 1.96 ERA and a 27% strikeout rate. So he's been really good this year. I do think he would be the top option. So I that, that that's a pretty easy question to answer. Though there is an interesting addition to the team that just got added to the team today. This is somebody that we talked about on In the Pen think it was last week but it's Abner Uribe who's one of their younger prospects and he is a big strikeout guy he is just 23 years old he was pitching in double a and triple a this year but he has been striking out tons of batters at double a he was 46 percent triple a he was 36 percent this is a guy that walks a lot of guys but he's definitely somebody with big strikeout numbers. He's very difficult to hit 1.80 ERA at double a 2.25 at triple a. And he has an 80 grade fastball. He throws over hundred miles per hour. I think he can touch one Oh three. This is a guy that's super interesting, still just 23. And like we talked about earlier with arbitration numbers, probably not a guy they want to be bumping up his salary. Mm-hmm as he's still just 23 years old. And this is a team that actually I would put in the cost conscious bucket, but (laughs) this is somebody that is interesting that could work his way into high leverage situations. So if Devin Williams goes down and Piomps either struggles or also goes down, or maybe they want to use him in a high leverage role, then Abner Uribe is somebody that in, I'm not going to add anywhere, but he's definitely 
somebody I'm putting on a watch list. So in my home league where starts are limited and relievers are really valuable because they can score a lot of points and that you can stream them really easily. That's a guy I'm looking at because he can come in and he could dominate, especially because he's so young and nobody's really seen him before mm-hmm. he comes up and batters. What is going yeah, on? Definitely take advantage of that. Uh, come from? Yeah. Take advantage of that in the short, at least in the short term until more video comes out on him and batters can get more experience. Mm-hmm. He did make his debut today on Saturday, went two innings, did get two strikeouts, let up an earned run. And so I, I will give a shout out to Jordan White, who I saw commiserating with himself on Twitter that he was not able to go to that game. He was close to buying tickets to that game. So he missed out on all the fun Ellie De La Cruz was having on the base pass mm-hmm. and yeah. Abner's debut. Jordan, we feel you. I'm sorry. I think we've all been there at some point. Or we go to the game right before a perfect game instead of going to the one with the perfect game. <laughs> I don't know if I wanted to be there. Yeah, fair enough. You would have been <laughs> on the wrong side of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that takes the place of who I'm right. Like those are the players that I'm looking at as mm-hmm. in, in this category. So you had some actual names of guys that you might be targeting that actually might get saves in the near future. So talk to me about the guys that you're targeting here. Yeah, and I think I've got some really interesting names here. One of them we've talked a lot about on In the Pen from the beginning of the year. And another one of them is somebody that we haven't talked about in terms of saves. So I think this one is actually going to be ahead of in the pen, which <laughs> so you're getting a sneak peek of probably what we're going to talk about next Friday. But Tanner Scott of the Marlins has been really incredible this year. 2.98 ERA, 37.1% strikeout rate, but he was even he's been even better recently, like one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball, I think since the middle of May after the first week of the season more so like the end of April, beginning of May, he's been great. 1.95 ERA. He's striking out more than 40% of batters. Super incredible. And okay. Yeah, that's great. Marlins have a closer. It's AJ Puck and he's been struggling recently. He's got two blown saves this past week. His ERA is up over four, 4.18. He's striking out only 29% of batters. And this is not a situation where you're worried about handedness. The Marlins are absolutely stacked with left-handed pitchers. AJ Puck, Tanner Scott, Stephen Okert, Andrew Nardi when he's not injured. They got Robert Garcia up on the roster right now. Mm. So they have plenty of options if they need a lefty specialist. But with the way Tanner Scott's been pitching and with the way that Puck and Dylan Floro have been pitching, not too well. I think he could sneak his way into that role. And we talked about the Marlins earlier. That's a team that's trying to win ball games right now. And if they want to do their best in the late innings, I think Tanner Scott's going to be their best option as the closer based on how he's been pitching this year. Sort of just want to ride the hot hand there. So that's somebody I'm actually going to be speculating on in some leagues because you're not going to have to spend anything on there because he hasn't been racking up saves. He hasn't been looking like he's going to take over that closer role. But if you start getting uneasy feelings about the way Puck's holding on to that role, I think Scott's the first guy you want to turn to there. And the Marlins aren't bad, so there's actually going to be opportunities. And then the other guy I got is Carlos Hernandez, which we talked about a lot there. Got the trade deadline coming up. We already saw Raldis Chapman get dealt to the Rangers. And I think Scott Barlow is next. Carlos Hernandez would be the next guy up. He's upped his fastball velocity this year. He's averaging over 99 miles per hour, striking out 29% of batters. His ERA estimators are below his ERA, which is at about four right now. And that's the guy that I am pretty certain is going to take over that closer role once it is vacated by Barlow. 
Yeah, it's just one of those situations where it's like, all right, great, somebody's going to take over the closer situation on a team that has no save opportunities, but that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I put Tanner Scott first because that's one that's actually going to get you saves. But there are a lot of leagues where it's Scott Barlow's owned in probably 100% sure. of 15-teamers right now. So I think Carlos Hernandez is actually a better reliever than Scott Barlow. Barlow's got slightly better strikeout rate, but the ERA is worse, and I think he's been pretty lucky this year. But Carlos Sanchez, I think, could have a pretty hot pat last couple of months if he does take over that closer role and the Royals start performing slightly. It feels like we talk about this every year and talk about this with Kevin. It's, yeah, these are all the moves that Kansas City should be making, and then they don't make any of yep. them. And then they'll surprise you, and they'll trade Carlos Santana at the beginning of the year or whatever, but at the trade deadline, nothing exciting ever happens that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Chapman leaving, of course, going to a team where he's still not going to be the closer. You know, anybody who took a flyer on him thinking that was going to be what the Royals did, you can continue to drop him and not be paying attention to him now that he's in Texas. But I would wonder where Barlow would end up going. Is Barlow go to a situation like the Dodgers that, and he, now he's just another name in a rotation yeah. of pitchers, or does he find his way into a team that needs somebody with the experience that he actually, he can bring, whether he's been lucky or not. That's a whole nother podcast though, that you guys <laughs> will take in the pen. Yeah. yeah. You <laughs> If only we had a podcast like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like that. I like the Scott is not somebody I've been paying attention to. I'm really glad you brought his name because I saw it on the outline. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm curious to know what you have to say about him. And I'm like, because I had puck and I have puck in a couple leagues and yeah, they, it's been hurting, but I haven't been, it hasn't been hurting enough for me to like wonder if that was going to be something. The thing with puck, I'm just always worried that he's just going to get hurt again. Knock on yeah. wood, not something I wish upon him, but it's something that has to be in the back of your mind if you do roster him. The other guy that I'm like comes to mind is Trevor May, who obviously went through his own struggles earlier in the season, but seems to have that role in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And everybody assumes he won't be on the Oakland A's in by August, and he won't be in a closer role. But is there any way in which the A's actually don't trade him away and he just rides the rest of the way in that role and does whatever he's going to do in the off season. It depends on if they like pocket change or not. <laughs> um, I don't think they're going to be getting much for him. He's been pretty bad since returning from the IL back in May. He's got just barely more strikeouts than walks. I think he's got 13 strikeouts to 11 walks in 16 <laughs> innings. And while he's got a 2.70 ERA it comes with a 6.45 XFIP. Those don't go together. Not usually. No, no, no. they don't. Things don't end well there. All but right. I'm hoping that Shintaro Fujinami can take over that role. If May does get dealt, just waiting on him to learn how to control his stuff. He's got really <laughs> great stuff. It is fun to watch when it, it goes in where you would expect mm. it to go. All right. Final category here. The funnest category, the wild card category, pretty much pick anybody you want that didn't fit into any category that we just went through. I'm going to I'm gonna lead us off here really quickly and I'll let you go into a whole bunch of names, which I appreciate when <laughs> sure. there's more names on here in this category. Somebody I'm just eyeing, I might not make a bid this week, but if I have an opening, this is where you have to start thinking about it because his mm -hmm. roster ship is going up every week now. Jose Urquidy 
of the Astros, set to do a bullpen session. Things are looking good as he's working his way back to Houston. 47% roster in the main event. So even in these 15 teamers, he's more than 50% available. So check your availability there. 14% in the online championships. Those are the areas in which I think those 12 teamers, you can wait a little bit and see how his rehab starts to go, see how he's producing. But he is getting close. And if you are looking for somebody that can be a little bit more reliable, in your rotation, especially if you have that kind of flexibility, this is where you can stash him. In leagues where you have IL, more than likely he's rostered and he's just being stashed on someone's IL, especially in those that have 10 IL spots or unlimited IL mm-hmm. spots, something like that. But with limited IL, even one or two, he was probably dropped for other considerations in that spot. So this is a time where if you have that availability to stash him and you need some little bit more stability, he is the term that you keep referencing from Nick Pollock. He's a little bit of a mm-hmm. Toby, not somebody you can rely on for a whole bunch of strikeouts. But if the Astros continue to put him back in the rotation, at least he's got that role. You've got way more fun names than me, though. So I'm going to let <laughs> you roll off these names in any direction that you want. Sure. Yeah. And I think they're more fun because they're probably going to be less available in the majority of leagues but these are guys you definitely want to start considering stashing now i followed your lead on the jose Urquidy call first one i think the most important one is o'neill cruz he is probably going to start getting back into getting on the field in august i know he's been throwing a little bit now he's dealing with that ankle injury that he suffered at the beginning of the season but that's an absolute league winner if he comes back and he does O'Neill Cruz things. And I don't think an ankle injury is going to hold him back from doing anything differently than he was beforehand. He's not totally available in a lot of leagues. I know he's available in my home league. He's available in a lot of 12 teamers, 71% on Yahoo and 78% in TGFBI, which is a 15 teamer. So there are some leagues where he is available, 22%, 29%. That's a lot of availability. You should definitely go check your waiver wire. You want to get on that as early as possible because that is a definitely, that's a league winner pick right there. And if you can make it back early to mid-August, that's a month and a half where he could be impacting your team and you only have to hold him for two or three weeks. It's going to come up on you fast and I think he could be back in the majors pretty soon. Grayson Rodriguez is somebody we talked about earlier. 100% owned in TGFBI. Like I said, I was holding on him too, (laughs) but he's been very great in the minors. I think he's bound to come back. The Orioles are definitely in contention right now and I think he would be one of their best starters that will manage his innings, but I think he's going to be really great. 34% owned on Yahoo, but definitely a guy I would be considering stashing now because I think he would be back even right after the All-Star break. And then lastly, I think more under the radar here is Zach Neto, where he's 73% owned in TGFBI, but only 7% owned in Yahoo. And this is a guy that was really great Prior to hitting the IL, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but then after he got things going, he was batting well over 270, playing every day at shortstop. I think he had a WRC plus in the 120s. That's a deep lineup in LA with Hunter Renfro and Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Joe Adele, Mickey Moniak, so many options there. And he has been, he slotted in every day at shortstop. So I think that's somebody that should definitely be owned in 100% of 15 teamers rostered. And then in 12 teamers, that's definitely somebody to consider. I don't think you need to stash him right now, but if you are looking for guys to stash that are somehow on your waiver wire, or you've got an open IL spot, I think this is a guy that's going to be returning soon. I think he'll be back as soon as after the all-star break. And then you can run with him for the rest of the season. Yeah. That all-star break really puts a wrench in. You're like, 
oh, they're on the 10 day IL, but there's the 10 day, it's not 10 game. And mm-hmm. so a lot of these IL stints end during the all-star break and they can come back in that first mm-hmm. game. Uh, somebody we didn't talk about early in the news section, but like DNC Swanson went on the IL, but they retroactive yes. it to, I think Thursday so that he's actually eligible to come back on next Sunday. And he's not going to, he's only going to miss three games in total, even though he's on the 10 day IL. Something, something to consider there. These guys might just pop up, even though they're not activated right now. They're act, they'll be activated on Friday morning, and it might be a surprise in some situations. So this is your opportunity to stash some of those guys, like Neto and anybody else you think might be coming back a little bit early. And even the Grayson, like he, they, the Orioles could surprise us and be like, all right, after the All Star break, we're we're calling them back up. As you mentioned earlier in the show, he's been doing great in the minors in his second stint in the minors and uh, they could just wrote change up that rotation after the all-star break with him coming back into it good call outs there as well thanks all right well, that's gonna wrap it up man we we almost made it. you guys went you and rick went pretty long on last week's episode <laughs> i thought i was hoping we would get there i don't think we did quite got to where you guys were at but i do appreciate you taking the extra time i know you got a whole mm-hmm. nother podcast to record i think most of the games are just about over so i you know you're gonna get to that Make sure you guys are listening to the First Pitch Podcast every weekend, every day, but with Jake on Saturdays and Sundays coming out every weekend. And then filling in, you had a nice little weekday fill-in mm-hmm. recently as well. So yeah. you never know when you're going to hear Jake on the airwaves. In the pen, obviously a must-listen to as well on the weekly basis. And everything else that, that you do, Jake, can you take three seconds or 30 seconds and remind everybody what uh, where they can find you? All, any other stuff that you do that I haven't already plugged and anything else you want to add? Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. Adam said I do in the pen every week. I do the first pitch podcast on the weekends. I write for baseball HQ, which is a great website, especially for fantasy baseball. I have a personal podcast, which I do for the athletes hub called free baseball, which I record every week. But if you want to find all of my work, it's over at crumplerbaseball.com. Yeah. That that's always nice. It's like when I get, when somebody does so much work and you're like, you know what? I'll just put it all in one spot. (laughs) You find links to everything all in one spot. That would have saved me a whole lot of words earlier. I should have said that, but that is going to wrap it up for episode 122 of on the wire. You could follow myself on Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. And of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. I'd like to once again, thank my guest, Jake Crumpler, for joining us this week. And after all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye. Goodbye.